This edition of the podcast is brought to you by the Weekly Standard 2016 Caribbean Cruise, December 4th through 11th. Let's face it, after this election season, we're all going to need a drink and a chance to get away. And what better way to rest up, recover, and get ready for the battle ahead than to join your Weekly Standard favorites like Bill Crystal, Fred Barnes, Steve Hayes, Jonathan Last, Matt Labash, and Matt Continenti on a beautiful Caribbean cruise. There'll be plenty of opportunities for one-on-one conversation with your Weekly Standard favorites, plus special guests like Eric Erickson of TheResurgent.com, Mary Catherine Hamm, Molly Hemingway of The Federalist, and Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist Michael Ramirez. You'll enjoy daily panels and speeches, private cocktail parties, and nightly dinners with your fellow guests and speakers. To learn more or to reserve your cabin, go to WeeklyStandardCruise.com. This is one year when we all need something to look forward to. So look forward to the Weekly Standard 2016 Caribbean Cruise, December 4th through 11th, WeeklyStandardCruise.com. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We have a bunch of polls coming out to kick off the week. And here to help us make sense of them, numbers cruncher extraordinaire, Jay Cost. Jay, thanks so much for fitting us in your busy schedule. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. So people are really raising an eyebrow over this 50-state poll that the Washington Post did for a lot of reasons. One is you don't see people often releasing all 50 states at once. The other, it shows Texas is a one-point race. Jay Cost, what the heck is going on? Well, I think something to bear in mind with um, a survey like this is that when you do, you know, there's a chance when you conduct polling, there's always a chance, even if you do everything right, you're going to get a screwy number. Right. I mean, it's just the statistical odds. Um, and when you do 50 states, there's actually a pretty gosh darn good chance that you're going to get like two states are going to go screwy, mm-hmm. which I think is probably accounts for the Texas thing. But, you know, on the other hand, look, I mean, we've seen a bunch of polling in Texas recently. I mean, not not a bunch of polling, but we have seen a fair amount of polling in Texas. And, um, you know, it's not a blowout there, according according to the poll. So. You know, I mean, is this is this poll completely outside the realm of possibility? Yeah, probably. But on the other hand, the real clear politics average only has Trump up eight points. Um, so it's not like I mean, it's not like completely, completely okay, beyond. Let's, the realm back up, of let's back up and let me explain why I'm not taking it seriously at all. Why I think it's a disservice to people who are trying to understand the race for The Washington Post to have released this thing and called it a poll. First of all, it's on the Internet. bogus second of all they conducted their interviews over the course of a month an entire month jay of gathering information thirdly the sample sizes are wildly ridiculously divergent state to state so can we even call this thing a poll yeah i think so i mean look i'm not a huge fan of internet polling um but um you know it's sort of the new thing now and, uh, you know, Real Clear Politics uses its internet polls and its averages and, um, and uh, you know, uh, 538 does and Polster.com does and Votomatic does. Um, I, I'm not a fan of that. But look, you know, something that they're trying to – pollsters are trying to deal with is the fact that it's just getting more and more expensive to poll um, because people don't answer the phone as much anymore. They, they just screen their calls in a way that 30 years ago – they didn't do that as much. Right. So, you know, this is this is whether or not ultimately this works out as a solution, you know, 
Um, it's sort of a work in progress. And I sort of think of, I'm sort of inclined to forbear a little bit and sort of like similar to the USC LA Times poll, which is just, you know, not a good survey. But look, mm-hmm. they're trying something, you know, and so I wouldn't necessarily, you know, throw any one individual piece of data out. You know, I think that we should take it all in and take it for what it is and not make too much of any single piece. So like, for instance, today, you know, this this Washington Post poll, you know, looked pretty bad for Trump, um, and the and the NBC News Survey Monkey poll looked pretty bad for Trump. Um, but CNN has, but CNN, the, but Trump CNN ahead. has, yeah, and you know that's going to happen, you know, um, and uh, so I think that you know you take it all together and you say, okay, well, Trump's probably down, but the margin is closed. The uh, CNN poll, Trump 45, uh, Hillary Clinton 43. And what amazes me about that, Jay Cost, is Trump at 45. Hillary is still in the low 40s like she has been. But uh, I am astonished. At, at, and once again, it's just one poll out of many, but showing Donald Trump up at 45%. Yeah, that's that was an interesting result. And it suggests that Trump is starting to corral the, the core Republican vote. Um and, but, you know, I mean, look, that that poll was taken over the course of, you know, probably Clinton's worst news cycle in a while. So, you know, whether or not that ends up being the truth or not. Look, I mean, at, at this point, I think if if you don't want to get too over precise about these things, because we still have like another two months to go and, you know, how these these things go. Uh, my feeling is, is that the race is, has closed, but the Clinton's still up probably three or four points. Um, and what should we do with that information today? Should we say, historically speaking, that's probably where the election's going to wind up? Or should we say they haven't even had the first debate? There's a lot of things that can happen. Well, you know, these things have a way of being unpredictable. You know, sometimes, you know, it depends on what cycle your point of reference is. You know, like, for instance, in 2012, you know, at this point, Obama had a three or four point lead. And then the debates happened and then Romney in the national polls, closed the gap to tie it, um, and everybody was like, "Oh, well, you know, Romney's, you know, Romney's surging." But then Obama ended up winning by the same amount, and everybody ended up deciding, "Oh, okay, well, I guess the, I guess the debates did matter." You go back to 1980; it's the exact opposite. You know, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> a lot of people thought the debates were a breakthrough. So, you know, who knows? I will say, look, I mean, I, I think that the debates, I think, are going to be really important uh, this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if you go back to previous cycles, like you go back to like 1996, okay, the debates really, they were never going to matter in 1996 because right. the public had basically made up its mind and they, they were going to vote to reelect, um, you know, Bill Clinton over Bob Dole. Same thing in 84, for instance, the, you know, everybody has that sort of memory of Ronald Reagan with the big zinger in the second debate and right. like, oh, that won him the election. Not really. He was going to win. Um, I think that this election, it's probably going to be closer to like, you know, the 2000 debates, I think, were really important. I think that whenever you have two candidates who are neither of whom is a president, I think the debates matter a lot because, you know, when you're debating a president, you know, when the president's at the debate, you know, everybody thinks of him as the president, you know. And I think the debates are an opportunity for people to get a gauge of people and whether or not, okay, does this person kind of fit the mold, the categories I have in my head of being a president, you know. Um, And also, you know, look, we got to throw this out there. We have Trump in the mix. Who knows what the guy's going to do? 
you know, he's very unpredictable. And, and so anytime you say that Jay cost, um, but what's interesting to me and Bill crystal, our friend has brought it up several times, including in his new podcast over at podcast one.com, the crystal clear podcast, that the real story is not Donald Trump, who everybody, you know, suspected for a while was going to be kind of a challenging, unusual candidate with a lot of negatives. Real news is Hillary Clinton continues to hit ever higher unfavorable ratings the new uh poll today one one of them has her unfavorable at 59 percent isn't this really the story of america remembering how much they loathe hillary clinton yeah i mean i don't know if it's the story but i think that (laughs) i think the story of this election is that the country hates both the candidates Mm -hmm. um that that the that the primary voters supplied them and I, I, you know, like for me, I just get back to this basic idea, like how, why, why did 11 million, you know, Mitt Romney had 60 million some odd votes um, in, in 2012. And, you know, uh, Trump, Trump won the support of, you know, about 11 million Republicans. So why, why are 11 million voters picking a nominee that, you know, that gets that gets is going to get should get no less than 60 million votes. The same mm-hmm. thing with Hillary Clinton, you know. Hillary Clinton got 17 million votes and there're probably about there's about 65 million people who voted Democrat in 2012. Why are we letting This is just something that all Americans should be asking themselves. Why are we let why did we let such a tiny minority? Mm-hmm. We're talking about maybe 25% of the voting public why did we let 25% of the voting public select the two most awful candidates in American history? Uh, I think it's called uh, the democratic process, Jay, but you can c- correct me on that if you'd like. Well, it's more complicated than that. I mean, Actually, I- it's really not. I mean, anyone who wanted to show up and vote could show up and vote in the vast majority of states. A few have restrictions on uh, uh, party affiliation, and even those are kind of squishy. So, yeah, I mean, the people, the people, you can't say that the people didn't pick these guys. Yes, you can. Why not? Well, because there's all wide open. Well, there's all sorts of manner. First of all, it's not simply the selection of the actual candidates, but there's also the narrowing, the winnowing of the Mm -hmm. the field. There's the framing of the debates. It's called the, you know, it's called the uh, the mobilization of bias or the second face of power. The first face of power is the actual choice. The second face of power is who gets to decide what is what will be the choices Mm -hmm. for, for number one. Number two, you know. It also matters enormously how the votes are actually counted because we have, for instance, the system that we have we employed with the primaries is a first-past-the-post system where the person who wins just a basically a spare plurality of the vote wins the whole, the whole thing. And there are so many other ways to, uh, to choose to select somebody through the democratic process. So when you say it's just the democratic process, I mean mm-hmm. that really is in a lot of respects opening a can of worms. There's so many other ways uh, for a democratic process to work. But but you, but you can't argue that people didn't know what was going on. It's not like these elections, as, as you and I know, there are a lot of uh, primary elections that kind of slip by. No one really cares, you know, who's going to show up. Everybody knew there was a big show in town. I was in Georgia for Super Tuesday. And there were, you know, there's tons of turnout. Everyone was talking about there were lots of candidates to choose from. They were all there. Jeb was there. Marco was there. The whole gang was there. And the voters made their decision. I mean, I don't think that's disputable. The question is, 
uh, what will voters do with the consequences of that decision in November. And more and more of them are apparently finding Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, they're unable to support her. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's, you know, um, there's still a lot of lot of game left to play. Um, I I think that neither of these candidates are particularly well liked. Um, So, you know, and and look, you know, yeah, the RCP average right now has Hillary at 41.4 percent and Donald Trump at 39 percent. So I look at this and I think to myself, you know, the country doesn't like either of these people. You know, Donald Trump's favorable rating in the in the polls is in the RCP average is. 37 percent. Hillary's is 41 percent. I mean, neither of them is really like it. The CNN poll you referenced has Clinton's favorable, unfavorable rating among likely voters at 56 percent and Trump's at 54 percent. So we have a situation in which the vast majority of the country dislikes both candidates. And, And it's astonishing to me that Hillary Clinton hasn't talked about anybody being a rapist. She hasn't talked about anybody wherever. She hasn't urged anyone to punch anybody, and yet she is uh, as unpopular as Donald Trump. And I find that story fascinating. We'll see how it goes forward. Jay Koss, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Also, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please give us a five-star rating. We always appreciate that. Find us at iTunes.com as well. I'm your host, Michael Graham.